Welcome to Inkwell, a podcast from Houston, Texas, for anyone engaged in the world of reading and writing. Inkwell is brought to you by Tintero Projects, which showcases the work of national and international Latinx and Latin American writers through readings and workshops, and Inprint, a literary arts nonprofit which, since 1983, conducts readings, workshops, and other programs to promote creative writing and reading and supports writers. Inkwell hosts Jasmine and Lupe Mendez, writers, educators, activists, and founders of Tintero Projects, will interview emerging and established writers from across the United States with energy, wit, and fresh perspective on what it means to ink well in this day and age. And welcome back. You're listening to another episode. Yo, I keep thinking this is a radio show, but it's not. Uh, You're listening to another episode of Inkwell. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Lupe Mendez, and to my right, in a really nice blue, no sé qué es. Is it a shirt? It's like a shirt. It's supposed to be a dress, but it's too short on me because of my, my belly, my pregnancy bump. Oh, yeah, you're pregnant. And I'm Jasmine Mendez. Thanks for introducing <laughs> me, Lupe. Um, uh, so this makes our, oh, yeah, officially you are listening to... Uh, what will probably be on the schedule, the last, the last podcast, podcast of, the of the season. Yay! We could have some applause in there, maybe, Josh. Josh, we could do like, <laughs> yay! Or like a, ah, uh, like one of, or both of those yeah, at yeah. some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, it's been a great run. Uh, there, if anybody's wondering if there will be a season two. Yeah, we did. We, we got, will have we a will season come back. two. We will come back. Uh, we hope you keep listening. If you're wondering if you should listen to the rest of these podcasts, yes. yes. And uh, and we'll actually, as we were reflecting on some of the um, podcasts of this first season, we realized that so many of the writers that we've talked to and the books that we've read um, are like all about revolve around family. Some form some form of family dynamic: mothers and sons, fathers and sons, or no family, or yeah, lack thereof. Um, mothers and children. Um, and then with me being pregnant, <laughs> that's, you know, Wait, obviously, you're pregnant? <laughs> obviously need to go with the program. Wait, that means I'm going <laughs> to be yes. a dad. You are the father. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> um, so uh, we'll take a quick moment as we're having the discussion yes. to kind of say hello to, to our, our guest. Final wonderful guest. Our final today. wonderful guest for the <laughs> He's season. rolling his eyes out of <laughs> He's not used to our banter. Um, <laughs> yes. Rigoberto Gonzalez, thank you for coming. Just say hello. You thank say you. Hello. Hi. <laughs> and, oh my God. Uh, and then, <laughs> what? yeah, family stuff. Yeah, and especially the baby showers yesterday, so that was interesting. Family we hadn't seen in a while came in. <laughs> family that didn't show up. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's a little upset. I'm not upset. Well, you I'm have fine. a right to be upset. I don't have. I'm not upset. It's just. It's interesting. Like what you need to, to explain do. why you're upset. Okay, so I'm not upset. <laughs> Stop. Uh, but so okay, my my parents, uh, in the most loving way, basically like helped us move furniture into the baby's room. It was nice. Uh, it was nice that they came to help, and it was. I guess it was their way of like breaking the ice that uh, they couldn't come to the baby shower. So my parents left to uh, Mexico um, Thursday, Thursday to go celebrate. And I couldn't be mad. Like I would wanted to be mad. I'm like, why would you miss your only godchild, your only granddaughters? Your only child and your, your only grandchild. Your only child and your only grandchild's <laughs> like baby shower. What okay. damn reason come, so. do you have to not? And then my dad's like, uh, es que tu abuela cumple 97. I was like, ah, oh, hell. Grandma's going to be 97. Yeah. No, so, y'all need to Might be one of her last birthdays. So, we hope not, but, you We hope not, you know. Um, so they had to go. And it was it was actually kind of interesting, like, while we were at the baby shower to see all my family in Mexico celebrating that life while we were celebrating the beginning of this. So yeah. it's all good. So it was a nice time. Yes, it was. So, yeah. How do you – so, yeah, part of family is, like, the intricacies and dynamics of, like, you know, what draws you to and then makes you run away from right. sometimes, yes, I think. definitely. Yeah, because I had a lot of family that came in from San Antonio. Um, I get, like, second cousins, third cousins, lots of little children running around that I hadn't really even met or known <laughs> that came, which was – it was nice. But, um, you know, they're, they've they always wondered why, like, I never went back to San Antonio. And I'm like, there's a multitude of reasons <laughs> why. That's the third book. I didn't leave. Yeah, I, I didn't ever come back. Um, but – yeah, I mean, I think how you like how we like pull away from family sometimes, or like are drawn to them for whatever reason, is something that 
that comes up a lot. And then how we deal with like the, um, that's what we were, you and I were talking about, like not the trauma of family, but like, because <laughs> family's uh, traumatic. Yeah. No. Yeah. How do you no. like, you know, work through the complexity as our thing says of, of family. <laughs> as we so, wrote down to not say the word trauma. And, uh, well, cause I know like for me, like I'm, I'm, I write much more freely as I do memoir, like about my relationship with my parents and oh, things true. like that. But you don't. And I have not that. touched. Not in your poetry. Like I, I not in, have like, I've kind of skinned the surface as far as poetry. I really haven't in terms of like. But you like refuse to write about your dad. Not yet. Like there's the, the, it's interesting <laughs> in terms of, I'm not putting all my trash out there, but, um, <laughs> but like it, it, the, the relationships that you build or are given to you as the cards are laid out there, um, seeing who my old man is now, as opposed to who I grew up with mm. and how that relationship has developed in 41 years, like that's. I'm beginning to discover somebody completely different than what I grew up with. And it's very interesting to see it's taken the time for us to be separated and doing this life and him doing that life to come to this point to where now, like I can actually, it's weird, but I can like now with the, the anticipated birth of our first kid, um, it'll be interesting to see like, what advice he might have, even though that's not the first person I would actually run to for some kind of advice. So writing about it right now is, it's like still in the moment. So that's always a difficult part. I think that's normal. I mean, I think like you're mentioning, like having been away from him for so long or like living on your own for like the last, what, 20, 21 years or something. Oh, that's at 18. It's about to be third. Yeah. 26. 20. I don't know how old are you. This is why. I don't do the taxes. One. Sorry. That's so not me. It doesn't matter. Uh, what I meant, what I would say is just like for me, like me and my mom, like 13 to 19, like she and I were like always butting heads. Like it's just what we did. But then when I went away to, co- when I went away to college, the first year was rough, but then afterwards, like we're like best friends. Like she, you know, we like hang out and we talk best and buddies. like, you know, you know, like we're not besties, besties. She's still my mom, but like it's, it's a really much, it's a much better relationship having that distance and like not living together and mm now me being a woman and she sees me as a woman. And so she treats me like that way, you know, it's, um, and, and I don't, I don't have the same kind of relationship with my mom that you have with your dad. I mean, like that's, that's a whole separate situation. <laughs> <laughs> so um, on that note, on that note, um, yeah. I think the, the other angle too is I, I think a lot of, and it kind of didn't even, we didn't plan it out. Like none of the authors that we picked up. Yeah, for no, the it wasn't like we were like thematically planning the season. But it just it so just happens that a lot happened. of the work that that individuals have written about involves uh, involved a lot of conversations about family yeah. relationships and siblings too. Like that was like a really big thing this this time. That around. that's true with Daniel Benya's book, uh, Samantha Shrevelin's book, um, and so a lot of those pieces that are laid in. I think I would say maybe half of and the that writers. was like and those were like the majority of our Latinx authors. That's true. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's an interesting piece as we close out the first season, uh, with nine episodes, I think we'll probably finish out next season with With 10, 20, no, no, no. yeah, I think Josh is like, what? (laughs) Oh, Josh is like, (laughs) um, so yeah, we are recording uh, uh, here live, not live at the imprint house. We're alive at the imprint (laughs) studio. Yes. Oh, it's a studio now studio i like that or house mansion the imprint mansion uh and then so we'll take a quick pause uh and then we'll come back and we'll uh start off with our interview of Rigoberto gonzalez and we're back (laughs) (laughs) welcome back Hopefully you enjoyed your The reason y'all always here is giggling while we're doing this is because we literally like take like <laughs> a five-second. We just look second, at each other and we look pause. at each other like, eh. Don't give away our secrets. Don't give away our secrets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So I just I would like to introduce Rigoberto, if that's okay. Uh, papers, rock, scissors. No, we don't have time for that. Okay. So uh, <laughs> we're just going to jump. You know fun. You don't tell me what to do. <laughs> All right. So Rigoberto Gonzalez is the author of four books of poetry, most recently Unpeopled Eden, which won the Lambda Literary Award and the Lenore Marshall Prize from the Academy of American Poets. His 10 books of prose include two bilingual children's books. Oh, I need to add those to the 
Baby's Library. Three young adult novels in the Mariposa Club series, the novel Crossing Vines, the story collection Men Without Bliss, and three books of nonfiction, including Butterfly Boy, Memories of a Chicano Mariposa, which received the American Book Award from the Before Columbus Foundation. I guess it would be four books of nonfiction now. Yes. One? Okay. I'm so sorry. He also edited Camino del Sol, 15 Years of Latina and Latino Writing, and Alurista's new and selected volume, Chicano Duende, a selected uh, selected anthology. He is the recipient of Guggenheim, NEA, and USA Rolón Fellowships, uh, uh, an NYFA grant in poetry, the Shelley Memorial Award from the Poetry Society of America, the Poetry Center Book Award, the Barnes & Noble Writers for Writers Award, and he is a contributing editor for Poets & Writers Magazine. He writes a monthly column for NBC Latino Online, and he is currently a professor of English at Rutgers, Newark, the State University of New Jersey. He is the inaugural Stan Rubin Distinguished Writer-in-Residence at the Rainier Writing Workshop, what, what, which is where I met him. And in 2015, he received the Bill Whitehead Award for Lifetime Achievement from the Publishing Triangle. As of 2016, he serves as critic at large with the LA Times and sits on the Board of Trustees of the Association of Writers and Writing Programs. Welcome. Yay. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm doing all right. Good. So we usually start with a little selection of you reading, if that's okay. That's Do you perfectly something fine. To share? Awesome. Yes, I think I'll begin at the beginning. And this is from his current book, "What Drowns the Flowers in Your Mouth." Yes, and this is the opening salvo. The two earliest moments I recall being aware of my younger brother take me back to Sacapo, Michoacan, in the mid 1970s. In the first, I'm playing with aluminum toys on the kitchen floor while my mother stands in front of the stove. The sharp corners on the miniature truck keep me focused on the task at hand, creating small collisions as I flutter my lips for effect. I remember my mother's legs underneath a dress, which seems odd because in most of my childhood memories, I picture my mother wearing pants. The dresses I associate with her are hospital gowns, the ones she wore during her quick decline in the 1980s, shortly before her death. But in that memory, she's full of life and inhabiting a domestic scene that made me feel safe and cared for. Our home, so sturdy and large. My mother, always within reach. I remain distracted by my childish game until I'm startled by gurgling above. I look up. It's a small body locked inside a high chair, banging a plate on the plastic tray before him. He's a funny-looking thing, a pale animal with stumpy limbs making awkward sounds like a wounded bird. I stare at him for a few seconds, trying to figure out who brought this into the house and for what purpose. When my mother turns around and puts food in his tiny mouth, I recognize that he's here to stay, that he will compete with me for attention and affection, and since he's clearly more helpless than me, I'm going to be asked to keep him company. My resentment grows. He's going to be a lot of work, this one. But just as quickly... So does my excitement intensify. There are two of us now, and that's like being twice as big, twice as strong, twice as fun. I will teach him. I will lead the way. The second moment is more vivid. It's rainy season, and the clouds over Sakapu are moody. At any moment, they release their heavy drops over the town, sparing nothing and no one. That's how my little brother gets caught in the downpour just outside the house. He stands frozen, holding on to his bicycle with training wheels, crying for help. My mother shakes her head as she hands me an umbrella and tells me to bring him in. This gives me a sense of superiority. Not only did I make it home because I gauged the arrival of the rain better than he did, but I had to go back out to rescue him. I pop open the umbrella and walk through the garden, the rain getting louder as it strikes the foliage harder. I open the front gate, its squeak muffled by the noisy weather. When he sees me coming, my brother amplifies his wailing. I shield him immediately and then walk him into the haven of the house, my hand on his silk back, prodding him forward. Don't worry, Alex, I say. I'm here now. Of those two moments, it's the second that flushed into my brain when I received an unexpected phone call from Mexico. It was Guadalupe, my sister-in-law. 
I was in Montpelier, Vermont at a writers' conference in the summer of 2010. I was strolling absentmindedly in the peaceful afternoon sun when Guadalupe informed me that my brother, living on the Mexican border town of Mexicali, had been kidnapped. I froze, my feet anchored to the earth as my head spun in circles while I came to terms with the helplessness of the situation. What could I do from so far away? What could I advise except to mutter words that I had never imagined would ever come out of my mouth? When they asked for a ransom, tell me, I told my sister-in-law, I will pay it. I'll pay anything. When she burst into tears, I became aware of how surreal it was to be connected to such a scenario through my cell phone while standing in Montpelier with its sky so clear and so clean, its light so bright. And then my body temperature changed and everything around me darkened with shadow. While I waited to hear back from my sister-in-law, I kept my body locked in place, afraid that if I moved, she wouldn't find me again. My body shook, but I couldn't cry. There was so much uncertainty about the situation, I thought it would be premature to do so. Instead, I imagined the terrible price that was going to be placed on my brother's life and tried to determine if I could actually pay it with my paltry savings account and no other family I could reach out to. At that moment, I felt like a failure. I'd failed my parents because I had failed to protect my little brother. Eventually, I arrived at the most horrific outcome, whether or not I could actually gather the funds would my brother be allowed to live. I had heard too many heartbreaking stories about my beloved homeland's current crisis to have such hope. Toes and ears delivered to family members who delayed payment, decapitated bodies to those families that didn't manage to pay, and even to those that did. But other than that, I had no context for what was happening to us. We were not wealthy Mexicans, though that didn't matter anymore. Anyone was vulnerable. I suspected that my brother had been targeted because he owned a small business making tacos. It was his dream to have his little side business, and I'd helped him fund it from afar, thinking that I had done something good for my little brother to help him get ahead. But now, there I was, cold, clammy, and probably responsible for my brother's abduction. If I lost my brother, I would have no one. Our mother was dead, our father was dead, to lose my brother would be so unfair after all my other losses. As I waited for that second call from Guadalupe, I gathered what I could remember about my relationship with my brother, about the ways in which our journeys followed the same path and the ways in which they never intersected. I tried to piece together again the story of our lives as men because everything inside me had just shattered. Hmm. Beautiful. I know. And then the way he reads it, too. <laughs> it's just so, so it's elegant. It's calming. It is, it's like, but it's like you're sucked you're in. in it. You're so. totally Thank sucked you. in. Thank you um, for that. Thank you for, for doing the interview. Um, so, okay, to kind of start off, um, since, like, nonfiction and memoir writing is... Not your specialty? N- Wow! <laughs> I mean, it's not. Like, I'm learning. I'm still learning. So. I, it's, it's like I love it and I watch it. But you it, don't. I don't. It's not like it's yeah. scary. Not your entry point for writing. And Jasmine, Sorry. it's the okay. Jasmine show. I'm just gonna drink my soda <laughs> over here. But so, um, in that, yeah, it 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 doesn't feel like as as a nice worn shoe for me as say poetry does. Um. And fiction's way, like, that's even harder. Um, in terms of, of the writing and creating nonfiction and the memoir, mm-hmm. um, do you focus in on one particular theme as you're developing and as you're writing? Um, or does it, do you let whatever pops up as you're writing to, to come forth? And then later, try to piece together the things that, that, uh, intersect and create like a, a line through all that work. Like how does how does the mechanics for creating um, each of the books or each of the works that you've been working on? How do you uh, manage all of that writing? Both poetry and nonfiction, or nonfiction. Uh, the, nonfiction the nonfiction, maybe the yeah. poetry. Yeah. Well, well, you know, uh, I knew early on uh, that I was going to be writing narrative and I was going to be writing personal stories. That saved me from using so much of the material in my poetry. So, so much of my poetry is actually not autobiographical or Mm. there's very little of it. Even in my first book, I think there's maybe two poems in there that I can Mm. draw a direct line between the um, 
the poem in, in my family's life, my family's experience, or my experience, uh, because I, I knew that I wanted a larger landscape to explore my family's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I began thinking of, of myself as a nonfiction writer because um, as a sense of responsibility, you know, when I was in my 20s, there were no such thing as, those, there were no nonfiction classes, there were no uh, workshops. So I, I kind of had to learn, learn on my own. Mm-hmm. There were very few Latino writers writing nonfiction, but they were out there. You know, Alberto Rea was mm-hmm. one, right? Oh, yeah. Emerald yeah. yeah. Santiago. Yes, 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 yes. So I knew that, that it was possible. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to, to write these stories because my family suffered from what many families suffered from, which is revisionist memory. Mm. I kept hearing them remembering things very differently. And I thought, you know, it's not that I want to write the definitive version of what happened, but I want to offer this alternative version. Uh, for particularly for my niece and nephews, my little cousins, because I thought, you know, my family's really good, and they're really, they're really good about f- deliberately forgetting some things, and then and and then agreeing on it. Right? Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, like right. a Latino thing, right? Probably, you know. <laughs> and I think that that the reason that I didn't surrender or join in because I didn't live near them, I was living mm-hmm. apart, right. so mm-hmm. I had my own journey and and had my distance, so I couldn't sort of sit down and. That there's a psychic agreement, right? This like, okay, we're we're going to tell this way now, and right. then everybody, oh yeah, absolutely. And I wasn't there for those sort of mental communal agreements. Right. right. That, so it's a, that idea of the collective memory. Exactly. Right? Like what is that? Exactly. How is that shaped? I was I was already an outsider, yeah, so I had yeah. my, so when I would come home and I would hear these other versions, I'm like, wait, wait a minute, you know, what is this? <laughs> so I thought I need to write it down. I need to write it yeah. down if if only so that there is another another side to these mm-hmm. stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think that I was going to actually write a memoir. In fact, uh, my first, I, I just wrote essays, personal essays. Right. And I was a, a, a kind of closet essayist uh, until um, until I, 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 I began looking for, for ways to shape an actual book, which was a very, even at that time, you know, at, at the age of, I think it was my late 20s, mm-hmm. I thought it was so arrogant of me to even try to do that because the nonfiction writers, that I was seeing were much older. Yeah, that, there's there's kind of that yeah. stigma of like, oh, you're only 30. Like, what do you have to write about? Exactly. What is it, you know? Exactly. Or, yeah. But I think that's also yeah. like the amount like of- you what, haven't lived enough. <laughs> well, but, that's, but that all calls to the question, like perspective-wise, like when is a life lived enough? Like mm-hmm. I think there's many of us that have gone, especially writers of color, mm-hmm. the amount of things that occur in one's life are heavier mm-hmm. for some- much earlier than for others, mm-hmm. and and so yeah, like yeah. Well, I mean, the way that I, that I broke through that was I was talking to somebody about that same thing, saying, "Oh, well, somebody just told me, you know, what what do you know? You're only 25. You know, what have yeah, you lived?" What have you and then and then this person said to me, "Well, thank God nobody told Anne Frank that. You know, she was 14." I mean, so there's that. That's a good I mean, point. I like that. And I think yeah. it speaks to what you said that the experience itself is a kind of uh, gives somebody a, a level of maturity. Right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that for for me, I decided I was going to write this story um, with myself as the narrator, leaving room for this idea that what I remember, what I remembered, was just what I remembered. That's it. It was not the definitive story. I was not writing. I was not there to to contradict my family story. I was not there to uh, blame them or, or to criticize them. I was simply going to be as honest as I could. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted this, I wanted this life to be acknowledged firstly by me. I wanted to recognize that this had happened, right? Mm-hmm. So each of the memoirs, um, and I thought I was only going to write one, Butterfly Boy, right? Yeah. And I thought that's it. I think Butterfly Boy ends when I'm 19 years old, and then, um, and then I, I reach my 30s, and I realize, well, that's actually something else I want to say, and I began to write uh, Autobiography of My Hungers, and then finally in my 40s, writing this. Uh, what drowns the flowers in your mouth, and mostly because my brother wanted me to. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because yeah. I always, I was that was you know that's obviously something that you think about as you're writing, like oh how did the brother feel yeah. or what did they, why did no. he think of this you know and well, I was kept, it okay? <laughs> no, I kept him out of Butterfly Boy and I told right. him that no, yeah. you know and yeah. I said listen I you know that. you're not you're not this is my story I know you're there mm-hmm. in spirit but I kept you out as much as I could because you have your own version right and I don't want right. to take that over right. right? And then he read it, and then after, uh, and he told me a story where he was he was a, a gas station manager, and he was reading this book, 
Butterfly Boy, and somebody came up to him and said, oh, you know, what are you reading? Oh, my brother wrote this. And, Your brother wrote the book? I said, yeah. <laughs> well, what's it about? Oh, it's about us. We're like, wait, 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 wait. Your brother wrote a book, and you're in the book. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I'm in the book. And then the guy says, do you realize that we're all going to die and people are still going to remember or read about you? Mm. Right? And then finally my brother re- like re- realized, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he realized what I was oh, doing. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly, right? <laughs> and then he said, no, and then he called me and he said, so next time I really want to be part of the book. Get me, yeah. me in the yeah, book, yeah, right? Yeah. And even here I was very, and I, and I said to him when I was working on this book, I said, look, and I actually had to tell him in person. It wasn't something I could do on the phone. And I said, look, I'm working on this book about us. I'm going to be as respectful, mm-hmm. but I also have to be very honest about our experiences. But again, you have your story. Right. I just have right. my version of this. And he said he was fine. He has not read it, though. I haven't sent it to him. Really? Yeah. I'm a little chicken. You know why? No, I feel you. <laughs> no, because I, I, I told him, I said, oh, the book is out. And then he sent me just one word, text. He said, I can't wait to read it. Right? But then I spent like three days trying to read the tone. Is it, I can't it's wait to read it. Wait. <laughs> Right? He didn't, he didn't put any emojis to signify no, the tone. Like hands, like right Seriously, it just like stunned me. I kept thinking, no memes so you can figure out. That so that pun? that's a yeah. follow up question. Then, like, yeah. does that ever, as you're as you've been building these and working mm-hmm. through these, yeah. does that ever stifle the the creative element? Like, you're like, I'm gonna write this old right. pero si me lo leen, qué this? Like, does that ever bounce into your head and then no, bounce out? Or? T- no, not really. You know. It, we have to be fearless about it, right? As yeah. like, I always tell people, as long Truth. as you're not using it as a weapon yeah. or as long as you're not using it to hurt somebody deliberately, uh, while somebody's feelings get hurt, you know what? That might be inevitable, right? For me, my brother is the only one that has read my work into my family. We have, I have a, an, a tia, an aunt, here in Texas, actually. <laughs> uh, she better not find out you're here. I know, no shout outs. No shout outs. I know. No, maybe Zita. Well, well, you know, well, no, you know what? <laughs> Uh, imprint live from Philadelphia. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, you I, can't let know. I know. I feel kind of bad because uh, her number on my phone, you know, I, you can't block family, right? So I just, it says do not answer because somebody did read my book that knows my aunt and told her, said, oh, oh you know, he wrote about, he said he wrote about you, he wrote about your daughter, he wrote about, and so. She is convinced that I made money out of oh, her story. Her story, yeah. yeah. And I, when the first time we exchanged a conversation, I tried to c- explain to her exactly what this was, mm-hmm. and she wasn't buying wasn't it. Feeling no, it. She she's wasn't. like, "Well, I, I owed her money, right?" And so oh, now I was like, no. "So it's kind of weird." So now I was like, "I'm, just I just, don't. I just don't ask her a cause, and I feel bad." But you know, what are you say? I mean, maybe I'll, I'll send her a Christmas gift or something, fruit yeah. cake. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what do I, yeah. what do, I do? Well, so it's interesting that you mentioned that you intended, originally you thought Butterfly Boy was like, that's the one, right. you know, memoir that you have, um, you know, kind of in you or that you you knew you were going to write. And then now you have these other two. And I'll be honest, I haven't read the, the middle one, the Autobiography of My Hungers, but I read the first and the third. And I, I, I as I was reading, I definitely picked up on, I don't know if it was just, again, because you're writing like the truth of, of mm-hmm. your story, but there were some definite like language choices and stylistic choices that kind of like, kind of, I guess, like paid homage to mm-hmm. the first book or, oh, yeah. um, you know, like the way that the dialogue with, uh, with, with the dad character and like, yes. even some of the, the other folks, um, from Mexico that, um, it, which took me a while to pick up on, on the, the first time in Butterfly Boy with the yes at the mm-hmm. end of each of the sentence. And I was like, oh, that's the way Lupe's family talks. A, A, C. Yeah. And then the do-do-do. And so like, did you have to go back to Butterfly Boy to see that? Or was it just kind of like innately part of your craft, like how you wrote, you know, like your voice or yeah. your style? Like, I think, the you know, choice? I think I just slipped back into that sort of dynamic yeah. and, mm. and, and the language when I, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't go away yeah. right? I always get asked what well, do you write in Spanish I said well no I don't I don't my, my Spanish is very oral right mm-hmm. I can I'm fluent in Spanish but I don't write it yeah. my lang- my my language of the my education is in English right but when I think when I remember my family it's it's in Spanish right just like mm-hmm. I still do math yeah. in Spanish I can only count in Spanish oh, in my head because it's faster because right. it's my first language, right? Yeah. So I can do it faster. But in terms of, uh, uh, so when I hear, when I'm, when I'm recalling their, their voices, yeah, I'm translating, mm-hmm. but I, I try to adhere to that, to, to the, yeah, like to, the, to the Michoacan, the, you know, the Michoacan <laughs> accents. And, yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. my father. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I just, I saw that there was like that thread and so I was like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. But the book, you know, the, the reason that I, I keep going back to the same periods is because, you know, I, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm still writing about my adolescence. Mm-hmm. I'm just seeing my adolescence very differently each with each era of my life. Mm-hmm. I see it differently in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, and I'm sure I'll look at it differently in my 50s. Because even now I'm, I'm working on a, the next one. Oh, wow. Uh, and nice. it's, it's about my grandmother. And that one is a little bit different, uh, in, but I'm going back to the same period because I live with my grandmother only during my, my adolescence. Mm. So I'm going back to that period yeah. in order to try to understand who she was. And then that was one of your questions about like the that, women in... So the, know, the way that, that... Part of the, the original question, like they're the the focused um with this book is of course your brother mm-hmm. relationship with father right uh, the like masculinity, all the men the grandfather the, the men, father yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and so yeah. i i kept in looking at like what is the the like even how i'm viewing the work that i'm doing um there's how do you focus in on the one and then there's all this potential mm-hmm. other story when it mm-hmm. comes to the women of family and, yeah. and so that's awesome hearing that that the next book is uh, on yeah. grandmother. Well, so because you can't cover everything, right? Right, you right. Can't. You there's, no there's no way. There's no way. And the, and also when I you know when I tell uh, my students if they're writing a book of poems, then I say it's not your only book of poetry. So be patient, have mm. a scope, you know, leave room for the next book, leave some of the imagination, energy for the next book. And so I feel this way at this point now because my first book was actually going to be about my mother. Because it was going to be mm. a letter to my mother, but the more that I wrote, the more I understood that it was actually about my father, who was still haunting me, right? And I thought, okay, maybe the next one will be about my mother. And I haven't Dying. quite, I haven't quite gotten to it. But I think I'm, I'm working my way toward it. But yeah. first, it's going to be like my grandmother. But yeah, that's one of the, one of the issues. Also, in terms of growing up in a very, um, very gendered household, right? Mm-hmm. That my space was mostly inhabited and inter- interacting with with the men, and there were very few women. And my family, I only had two female cousins. Oh. My my hostages came later, but they were not. I was no longer living at home. Right. That was my my father's family, but it was only my my grandmother, my mantilla, and then two female cousins. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's I had. There's not. Yeah, yeah. Not, no, not that many could, women. Yeah, we were talking about that at the house. Just like, well, the like. The women in, in the book, and I was like, well, he hasn't really written about his mom. And I was like, maybe yeah. it's because I know she passed when you were relatively yeah. young. And so maybe there's just like, again, that memory issue or just kind of piece that yeah. together. But um, but yeah, so one of the things that, that I, oh, you were going to know. Okay, that I had a question about, because um, uh, you're familiar with my work. So mm-hmm. for those of you that don't know, Ricoberto is my mentor <laughs> for uh, Rainier Writers Workshop. And it's uh, been a great, a great year rub so far. So thank you for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I write a lot about the body and illness, and I know that comes a little bit yes. later in this book as well. Um, and one of the lines that really stood out to me from from this book, particularly, is um, the loneliest place in the world is a compromised body. Yes. And so, and then also you talk a little bit later about the body is alter and um, sort of just all of these, all these different things, these these ailments, and and then, mm-hmm. but then I feel like even with with like the first book. Um, there's still a lot of discussion about the right. body, right? But just right. in a different way, right? So it's oh, right. there's always this body. So how do you find, like, how do how do you approach writing about the body without kind of this like either navel gazing or this just like you know beating a dead horse situation about it like over mm-hmm. and over, right? Remember, like, I don't know, I don't know really what my question is, but like, how do you write about the compromised body? Like, how do you? You know, I I think that in in I mean the first book it's the body in relationship to desire in relationship mm. to other bodies right in the relationship to how other other identities see that body and here struggling with the body through the world struggling mm. with my body through relationships with my family through the New York landscape which is very mm. difficult on my body uh, so I think as long as I give this body a context mm. and not sort of enclose it in any kind of or isolate it because even if we feel isolation I mean we're, we're still connected somehow right, right to a space and it's the space that allows us to understand movement or lack of movement, right? It's a space that allows us to understand how is it that we can, what are, what are the obstacles that we're, we have to confront and what are the challenges that we've overcome? So the body needs to necessarily move through space. And if the, and the body is moving, then there's got to be a story attached to it, right? And I think in, 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 uh, in this one, I think there's one moment where I'm very deliberate about Movement, and it's when I'm leaving this very troubled relationship, and I'm and I'm talking about counting the footsteps and the people moving yeah. around me, and so I mean that even though I felt very much alone, 
I'm very much part, still part of a landscape, right? And I think that that keeps me from be, making the body something abstract mm. or even the emotions connected to the body being abstract. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's great. Thank you. The, um, I noticed in one of the, the um, parts of the book, one of the essays within the book, um, the, the Azucena... Mm-hmm. And then Guadalupe, oh, yeah. the, yeah. the poetry of those names. The names, the names yeah. The names yeah. Themselves. And names. so, like, how my interesting, like, how important are names as you are writing either poetry right. or uh, uh, creative nonfiction? Mm-hmm. How, like, I've, I've uh, God, I can't think of her name right now. Oh, my God. I, we just had a workshop with her, like, two years ago. I just drew a blank. Natalie, do you? No, Sarah... <laughs> Not Sarah. Oh my God. Oh Lord. Now you're just wasting. Time. Anyways, um, <laughs> so we did, we did a whole workshop. We did a whole uh-huh. workshop on uh, even one's oh, name, okay. right? Like yeah. who else holds your name? What does that mm-hmm. name translate to? Right. Uh, all those pieces. Does does that ring something else as you're as you're developing any works? Uh, how does how yeah. important is? Yeah. That? I mean, in poetry, in my first book, I did name. In fact, even I, I do use names. Very. Uh, I love because there, there is poetry names and also the most Mexican sounding names. I know in, in my novel, Hakaranda, I think was one of the names mm. of the characters. So I do love using that. I, 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 it's one more ways in which these characters are connected to a cultural space, right? Yeah. And and this one, I think uh, in Butterfly Boy, I kept so many names out of it. Uh, only because I was still sort of testing the waters of revealing family secrets, right? And in this one, I couldn't resist because Susana and Guadalupe are the names of these women, right? Avelina is my mother's name, and the fact that Rigoberto is my father's name, and this, all that yeah, is... Yeah, we were talking about it, too. I was like, what is his name? Right. His dad's, exactly. his dad's well, name, and there's exactly. all that. Exactly, so I'm carrying my father's name, and... And uh, that's the and that's like the link, the, the unbreakable link between us, right? Mm. And with my brother, it's it's uh, it's, it's Alejandro, it's Alex, uh, it's Texaco Alex. It's uh, his name changes throughout. Um, but here I was very deliberate. I couldn't resist using mm. using those names like Guadalupe and, and Azucena. And um, I didn't ask my brother about that if that was okay. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, just kidding. Oh, well. Maybe that's why you haven't sent him a copy yet. No? <laughs> oh, wait, yeah. Santa Maria Estevas. That's who it was. Oh, Santa Maria Estevas. Estevas. Oh, Estevas. Yeah. She, it was okay. an awesome workshop. I hadn't yeah. even thought of it in that way, but like, yeah, that's that's insightful. No, that makes sense. Yeah, the cultural yeah. space, right? I just want to say before, like, if we move on, I just have to say this. Speaking of names, well, not really names, but I kind of want to write, and I don't do fiction, but I kind of want to write a fan fiction story about Adelina and like what happened to her oh, yeah. afterwards or like where she came. You know, I it's just a fascenating. Like, I can't ask a lot. She, yeah. Uh, when I read just, that story, the, have you found her? Have you looked for like, her? Well, yeah. And I never really thought, and even now, yeah. that the, that resources are possible, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, to maybe Locate, find somebody. Yeah. I kind of don't, I kind of want to leave that story open. Leave it open, right? Because yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. want to know. I don't want to know that, uh, then I, then the story might change because what if something tragic happened? And mm-hmm. then it becomes like, well, I ushered that forward. It mm-hmm. wasn't my fault, but I ushered that mm-hmm. forward, right? And uh, well, the funny thing about that particular essay, the first time I read it, it was in Pueblo, Colorado. And I, it, I had, it wasn't published yet. And, and I was going to read it. And then I realized just as I got into the microphone, that I was going to reveal something I had never told anybody in my family in a room full of strangers. And so I said to everybody, can you all give me a, a minute? Mm. And he was like, what? And so I stepped out and I called my brother. And I, thankfully he answered. And I said, Alex, remember that incident, you know, in my tia Sara's house back with you know, the, the young girl? I was like, yeah, it was me. I'll call you back later. <laughs> And I told everybody in the room, I said, it just felt really ugly if I told a room full of strangers, strangers and what not I someone, had done yeah, and not yeah. my family. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's <laughs> now I'm like, what did Alex think of it? Like, she said it was well, me. and then speaking of like, you know, not telling family certain things, that is what I got. There was a lot of that in the book of just this. So you are telling these stories like through this writing, right? right? But then what drowns the flowers in your mouth is like what you cannot say, right? What you cannot say. And there's so much of of that about your sexuality and just about like you moving forward and like why you left and all these things. It's just constantly this like Mm -hmm. swallowing of like these truths of yours. And so, I don't know. I'm just like wondering like how you ended up navigating that or what, what makes it I mean, I know, but like, <laughs> what makes it easier to go about like in writing it versus like the speaking of it, you mm-hmm. know? 
Well, I mean, when you're confronting your family or when you're relating to your family, I mean, they answer back or they don't, right? right. And I think that that their silences or their responses can mm. wound, can hurt, can be difficult, and it's another level, right? Mm. And also, it, it's going to demand a, a resp- another response from you. So you lose a little bit of control, mm. a little, right? Mm. And so here with, with these kind of narratives, I mean, you, you're able to at least for the length or, or for the, the energy that you pour into the page and you pour into the story – you are navigating through it. You are leading the charge. You're in ch- you're controlling it. You're mm-hmm. controlling the narrative. You know that in reality that that's not how it really is. Yeah. But at least here, you feel as if you have a hold in the situation, right? So it doesn't it doesn't get away from you, or pe- somebody doesn't take it away from you. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is something that happens with family when you confront them or when you call something out. You know, and they respond, they deny, or whatever the response right. is. Right. Very easily, all of a sudden, you're not in control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of leads into to my last question. Um, the mechanics of writing about memory. What are are there any resources that you use? Like, do you occasionally have to call up your brother and was like, mm-hmm. "Hey, that one time that we did X Y Z, where were we?" And sometimes, like the yeah. the, the impreciseness of of memory, mm-hmm. you might remember an entire event happening in one space. And oh yeah, absolutely. you hear like, "No, tuvimos allá." <laughs> yeah, and then, like, yeah, yeah. no. And so no, like, yeah. how do you work through, mm-hmm. like, are there any, that? how do you negotiate that? Like, how are there, what are there any skill sets or resources mm-hmm. that you use? Like, do you rely on anybody, family? Or do you write things down in a timeline? Yeah. Like, what does it look like as you okay. go? Well, the, the only time I ever consult my family is for facts. Right. Mm-hmm. Just facts. Mm-hmm. Not facts. impressions, not what do you remember? Because then it becomes a collaborative project. And that's not what this is. I mean, you, 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 you put your name on it. You're going to be responsible for everything you put on the page, right? Mm-hmm. You can't say, well, my family said this. My brother told me. You, know, <laughs> right, so right, right, you, right, you right, can't do that. Yeah. So it's, it's only you. And, and also I think that there's something to be said about the way that we remember, right? And not the way it happened. I think yes. that I got that from like Lucy Greeley who, who wrote about her childhood. Yes, the and autobiography of her right. face. Yeah. And she right. said, that's not how I, that's not how, that's mm-hmm. how I remember it. That's not how it happens, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is a very, which means that your position, your, your emotional state is what shapes the memory, right? And you have to, uh, you, you, and you have to own up to that, right? You can't go back and be like, well, I'm going to carve out what really happened in that room or in that moment or in the event by calling all these other witnesses. Because then, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you... you it turns into something yeah, else. Yeah, it turns something else. And also it becomes like Rashomon, which is a different kind of narrative, right? With a Kurosawa, where everybody remembers something differently. And that could be interesting, but that's not what we're doing here. Here mm-hmm. it's you, you're doing it. So I rely on my own flawed memory, Right, and uh, and I'm okay with that because that because and I understand that my I may also be revising things myself. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, the only time I've ever gotten and and uh, there's one family member, another family member who who read one of the early essays, and he always felt kind of guilty that he he wasn't an immediate family member. He was a um, like a cousin, um, and he knew that we were in the country, but he didn't know that we were suffering like that, and so he always felt guilty about it. Right, and so I sent him one of the pieces, the earliest one about the the dog food. Right? Yeah, I wanted to. I was like, yeah. uh, I wanted to bring that up a little later because I was like, you. now I understand why you're a foodie. <laughs> because yeah, you're like, uh, those are those days, and now I'm gonna exactly. eat well. <laughs> no, no, but he couldn't get over it. Oh really? No, really? Yeah, like he stopped talking to me and everything. What? It just felt really. Oh, was it your fault? Oh, because he was just kind of like embarrassed. No, that's intense that he didn't though. Know. I mean, like sometimes. Yeah, yeah like, like he just couldn't believe. Like he realized oh. that we we're in trouble. He just didn't know we we're. Because everybody kept it. Hidden, well, yeah, it's right? something that no se habla. Yeah. Well, he said that earlier. He's like, either they respond or they don't. Oh, they don't, right? And then what do you do, right? Yeah. What do you do with that? You know. So that's a. I mean, that's again, that's a, the danger. You know, of of going up to your family and say and, and saying, well, I'm I'm doing this, I'm writing this. You know, you just you just do what you have have to do. You, just you do know, it, deal with yeah. the consequences later. I think it's easier when it's when you can't. Destroy it. Yeah, and what you are you going to do? Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> right. It's there. Right. It's everywhere. You do you, boo. You yeah. do you. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yo, beautiful. So you've been listening to... Um, Inkwell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Interview with Rigoberto Gonzalez. <laughs> um, uh, the, yo, that's a lot yeah, of... That's great. Dropping knowledge. Like, thank you so much for that. And uh, we'll take a real quick Break. little... Pause. We'll come back with our lightning round questions. And Josh has been adding the lightning round. I know, I say that every time. <laughs> we, we get it. Why do you hate? <laughs> I love it. It's love. Pause. 
and we're back for the next segment. Um, last segment. The last segment? Next segment? Whatever. Um, is our lightning round session of questions. These are just serious. No. <laughs> <laughs> These are the most serious the questions. That okay. Every, like people like speed through the rest of the... Interview. Right. The interview, and then they get to these questions. Right. The only rules are uh-huh. we present you the questions. You get 60 seconds to answer each okay. question. First, like, answer that comes First to mind. First thing that comes to mind. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. It's- <laughs> <laughs> these are intense. Just- this is what makes or breaks okay. MFAs. Okay. People's careers, book sales, book all book of it, sales? <laughs> <laughs> all of it. Okay, all right. so we'll take turns. You go first. You, go- you want me to go first? You okay. Go first. So, question number one: uh, East Coast or West Coast? West Coast. That was easy. Um, <laughs> number two is like a three-part question. Oh. Number two is a three-part <laughs> we question. We have two A, two B, two C. Wow. Uh, okay. Favorite food or dish okay. in the U.S. in Mexico and then overseas. Oh, in Mexico, uh, chile rellenos. Okay. In the U.S. In the U.S. Oh my gosh. Uh, la, 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 la. Forty seconds. Hey, why eat Mexican food here too, man? Like, <laughs> like, well, what's something like maybe really American? That really American like? that I actually like? <laughs> He's, He's like, really? Asco. No. I don't know. Tuna sandwich. I don't know. It's like, like the whitest American? thing ever. Know, yes. Perfect. <laughs> With mayonnaise? No, I don't know. <laughs> no. Tuna sandwich. And then overseas. Okay. Anywhere, overseas? Like international, not oh, Mexico. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. So much. Mm. I was going to go for the easy and say paella. Oh yeah, I love yeah, paella. But good seafood paella, yes. Yes, yes. Right. Um, uh, if you were not writing, what would you do? Dancing. Oh yeah, Be a dancer. you were. Yeah, yes. he was seen dance. Like mm. ballroom dancing or like mm, no, folklorico flamenco dance. Duh. I mean, I'd probably be aged out of it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be the director of a whole. Be a director. Yeah, be a director of the dance yeah. company. Yes, yeah. exactly. There you go. That's awesome. Um, what's harder, memoir, YA, or poetry? Um, I think maybe YA. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. They're they're a tough audience. You they're know that. Tough I mean, audience. YA you know, tough audience. Yeah, they're very really unforgiving. Yeah. YA, <laughs> they're like this oh, book yes. is do kids get to critique YA book? Like, they do. Oh they my do. god, there's a whole network out there. I learned really? that. Yes. They interview, they critique everything from the book cover to like uh, let me the tell dialogue. you. I mean, I learned the hard font. way, man. Oh my god, I got so much hate mail for the <gasps> third uh Mariposa Club. Really? Yeah, the Mariposa because uh, because for the first two books, these young people were like, why aren't they having sex? Why aren't they having sex? Oh. Teenagers have sex. I'm like, well, I don't want to write that. <laughs> so finally in the third book, they have finally sex. they have sex, but they have really bad sex. Oh. And they got, <laughs> and they, I'm like, well, and they got really annoyed. I'm like, what's well, that happens? Yeah, That's, yeah, you're clumsy. You don't you're know what you're doing. bad like, sex. Yes. I was like, you're not an expert. <laughs> first time around. Doing like, that. Come on. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, um, so uh, favorite artwork or artifact in your home? Oh, my. I know you have, like, a I, museum I, in there. I have a museum <laughs> in there. But my favorite is probably this very, uh, an oversized Josefina Aguilar sculpture. Mm-hmm. One of that. She only did a six. Uh, they're, like, about three feet tall. Usually they're, got, they're about a foot tall, mm-hmm. her, her sculptures. These are three feet tall. And mm-hmm. um, five are owned by museums, and I own the six. Wow. <laughs> and this is why he will it. never give out his address. And, <laughs> and he looks at it when he eats a tuna sandwich. Easy. Make my tuna sandwich at night. Stroking his From 7-Eleven. <laughs> from 7-Eleven. Hey, it's real talk. It's what I do. It's awesome. home late from work, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, most expensive of, yeah. clothing purchase. purchase. You own. You, oh yeah. my! Oh, that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I buy expensive clothes. No, uh, no I know. <laughs> so, yeah. I know it's got to be my my shoes. Probably there's a number of shoes that I have that are pretty pricey. Mm-hmm. And you're still wearing them, and they're in use. Oh yeah, of course they're not. You know they're not decoration. I think it's like closets, probably like another museum. Yes, the like so. closets of yeah. So it's another, I'm sure that'd be dope to just take a look at the closet. I know. Yeah. See the shoes. Um, oh, most memorable international experience. Oh. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. No. You know what? I think it would have to be the first time I went to to, to Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, I was down in, in Mojacar, which is in the um, Mediterranean, and just seeing this gorgeous uh, landscape, very Moroccan-inspired landscape, mm. and realizing that I was really in a different part of the world. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, uh, worst poetry reading You've ever done. 
Uh, It was the crowd or you spilled coffee when you got to the state, whatever the case. I'm sure they all happened in the very beginning when I was barely, you know, cutting my teeth as a, and just, I was always very nervous. I was always a nervous reader, very self-conscious. And so I know that I would, I would sweat a lot Uh, or I I would stutter or I would, you know, I would sweat so much and I I, have my glasses on and I'm like, my my lens would be covered with water sweat and I couldn't read other words and I'm like... <laughs> it was so, I, I tell my students it's fine to be nervous, you yeah. know, just as long as it doesn't paralyze you. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's plenty. There's plenty of examples, and that's okay. fine. You, yeah. you, you go yeah. with it. You, just go, you with go with it. it. Um, um, where do you want to live when you retire? Definitely on the West Coast. There was two places. One would be my I dream place are Oaxaca uh, and Puerto Rico. Those are my two. I mean. They're both difficult places right now, yeah. but hopefully they'll get better. And Puerto Rico or Oaxaca, you know, Viejo San Juan is my favorite space. And Oaxaca, Oaxaca, my other second favorite space. And if not, uh, somewhere on the West Coast in California. Nice. Warm weather. You're a yes, warm weather. Yes, warm weather. Um, all right. <laughs> this so one's this one's fun. interesting. It's also so, a two-part question. Okay. So your favorite word in Spanish and then your favorite word in English. Oh, that's good. My favorite word in Spanish, it would have to be amor. Oh. No? And in English, just the opposite, bone. Oh, I don't know. I like bone. <laughs> bone. I just like the sound of it. Yeah, those That's are like good. short, like good words. Precise, on point. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah. Um, so folks, you've been listening to Inkwell. Um, With our guest, Rigoberto Gonzalez. And where might folks be able to learn more about you and your work? Uh, through my website, www.rigobertogonzalez.com. Very nice. And he does his uh, new book, What Drowns the Flowers in Your Mouth, is out now by University of Wisconsin Press. Yes. yes. So please t- uh, pick up a copy of that. And if you'd you like to more. see or hear him do a reading, you can't know more because he's, <laughs> he's done for the year. He's done for the season. <laughs> the season. So, yeah. The season, right? Um, yeah. So thank you ever so much for coming through. Thank you. Um, everybody for listening. This is, yeah, this is the... Our last episode of Inkwell. All right. For the... the season. And we'll, we'll, we'll be back in a couple in, months after I birthed this child. Then I figure out how to put on <laughs> diapers and <laughs> that kind of goes. stuff. Yeah. So. All right. Um... So thank yeah, you. thank you, Josh. You've been thank wonderful. Thank you, Josh, You're for a magic I hope you maker. stick around and put up with us, and uh, we'll see you in a couple of months. Or you'll hear us in a couple of months. You'll hear us in a something. Yeah. Yes. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Inkwell, a collaboration between Tintero Projects and Imprint in Houston, Texas, a city with a wellspring of literary activity. Inkwell is hosted by Jasmine and Lupe Mendez of Tintero Projects, produced by Kristen Flack, Rich Levy, and Krupa Parikh of Imprint, and recorded, engineered, and edited by Josh Walker with 150 Media House. Inkwell is made possible by a grant from the City of Houston through the Houston Arts Alliance and Imprint's other generous supporters. For more information, visit imprinthouston.org or tinteroprojects.wordpress.com. For feedback on this and future episodes, email inkwell at imprinthouston.org. We also invite listeners near and far to attend our readings and workshops. Until next time, keep reading and keep writing.